Welcome back to the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips, and we're back with a new episode after a brief summer break. We're going to debut a brand new segment on the podcast today, so make sure you stick around and find out how you can use it to make some shekels during the upcoming football season. I will also be joined by Matt Rumack, a fantasy sports writer for RotoExperts.com, to help you prepare for your fantasy football drafts in today's seventh-inning stretch. Don't forget to stay locked in until the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill, where I have a bone to pick with both New York baseball teams. We get all along with our opening tip, which will offer a preview of the upcoming U.S. Open Tennis Tournament right after this. Y'all ready for this? And we're back with today's opening tip. We're going to talk all about the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. It's going to kick off next week at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center in Flushing Meadows, right across the street from City Field. And I have to tell you, it's an experience that every sportsman who lives in New York should try at least once. I know tennis is not a traditional sport that people gravitate to. The scoring is weird. Scoring is weird. Crowd etiquette is weird. It's different than going to a baseball game or a football game. But it's an experience. A little backstory for you guys. I actually interned there in 2009. I worked for a company that helped certify radio frequencies there. So I got to see the tournament pretty much inside and out. I was already a big tennis guy. I fell in love with it then. Going to the tennis center is a lot different than going to a baseball game. When you walk in the tennis center, you forget you're in Queens. You forget the city fields across the street. It becomes like a little tennis village. And you get to see a lot of different things you don't get to see. Now, no way saying go buy the tickets to sit courtside at Ash. Those are very expensive. Going there in general is a little expensive. One, one way you can tell that, my general rule of thumb is when you go to a game, the cheapest beer will tell you how expensive it is. At Met and Yankee games, it's usually Bud Light, which is not, it's not terrible price. At the U.S. Open, the cheap beer is Heineken, so you know what you're paying for. But there are values to be had. You buy a ticket in the upper deck at Arthur Ashe Stadium, you get one of stuff up about 30 bucks. Gets you in the night session. You can go in there. You can watch the night matches. See two of the top players in the world and, and their opponents. Have fun that way. What you can also do is you can actually wander the grounds and check into any of the outer courts that you want. One of my favorite things to do when I go to the U.S. Open, go to one of the outer courts, try and get an up-close view of two people who you don't really know. This is an actual chance to see elite athletes perform up-close for basically your $30 ticket price. That's something you don't always get. This year's tournament is going to be fun because there are a lot, a lot of storylines to follow. We'll start on the men's side. There are a lot of contenders for the title. Novak Djokovic is back in form. After a struggle due to the uh, various injuries he's dealt with, he came back, picked up a big win at Wimbledon, followed up a couple weeks later, winning at the Western Southern Open in Cincinnati, Becoming the first player ever to win all nine Master Series tennis tournaments. And he's won here twice before, in 2011 and 2015. He's locked in. He's definitely a threat to win the title. Another another guy who's a big threat, Roger Federer. Federer played well at Wimbledon. He, he got upset in an epic match by Kevin Anderson. But he's been well-rested. He, he played Djokovic in the finals in Cincinnati. Lost there, but I believe... He's very capable of winning. The U.S. Open is actually Federer's longest drought for winning a major. 
Federer won five straight titles there from 2004 to 2008. Got to the finals in 2009, lost, has not won another one since. He's due to win again at Flushing Meadows. He's come close a couple of times. This year could be that year. You can also look at the defending champion, Rafael Nadal. He's been strong all year, won the French Open easily, lost a marathon semifinal to Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon. He also picked up a win in one of the tuna tournaments at the Rogers Cup in Toronto. Very capable of winning on this surface. Very big threat to win here. And you also have some other sleeper storylines here. Andy Murray set to come back for the first time in a major since his hip surgery. He's had so-so results in his tune-ups. He got to the quarterfinals in Washington, D.C., lost there. Got knocked down the first round in Cincinnati. It's interesting to see how his surgically repaired hip would hold up to five-set tennis matches. I don't expect a deep run from him, but he could be a factor if he gets going. The big sleeper on the men's side, I know it's a little cheating to say is a third seed is a sleeper, but it's Juan Martin Del Potro. Del Potro has won here before, won an epic match in 2009 against Federer. He's finally rounding into form after many years of wrist surgeries. He went deep at Wimbledon. Hard courts are his favorite surface. He's got the guts and the pedigree to beat one of the big four in this tournament and possibly more. So he's a guy to watch. One other interesting nugget on the men's side to watch, if we get a matchup between Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, who are the top two seeds in this tournament. Did you know that two of them have never played in the U.S. Open? Think about that for a second. These two players, or the two best of the generation, have never played a match at one of the Grand Slams. They looked like they were on track for that last year before Federer got upset. Could be in line for that again if they get to the finals. The draw is coming out later this week. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. The women's side also features some more interesting scenarios. You would consider the favorite most of the time he's Serena Williams. If Serena Williams shows up and it plays anything up to her potential, she can easily run away with this. She needs one grand slam to tie Margaret Court for the most all-time. But things have not gone great for her. She got to the finals of Wimbledon, lost to Angelique Kerber, and she's looked very sluggish in some of these tune-up events. She got blasted out of the first round of San Jose by Joanna Conta, 6-1, 6-love, absolutely destroyed. She pulled out of the Rogers Cup in Toronto for personal reasons. She got bounced in the second round in Cincinnati. She sees 17th here. There's plenty of opportunity for her to make a deep run. If she's on her game, she's a big threat to win. It's just a matter of if everything is there and there's no office court issues and distractions keeping her from reaching her potential. You also have to keep an eye on the, the finalists from last year, Sloan Stevens and Madison Keys. Both have had interesting years following it up. Sloan Stevens broke through last year, won the U.S. Open for her first career major, then she lost eight straight matches after that. So eight straight first-round exits to tournaments. Stevens got on track in the middle of the year. Bounced back, got all the way to the French Open Finals, held the lead against Simona Howell, but blew the match. And then she lost in the first round at Wimbledon. She's coming into this tournament seated third. She's a huge threat to repeat. Let's look at Madison Keys. Madison Keys lost that final in brutal fashion. She comes back, reached the quarters in Australia, lost to Angelique Kerber there, then won one match over the next three months. Rebounded the French, where she lost again to Stevens in the semifinals. And she changed coaches and lost in the third round at Wimbledon. She sees the 14th year. Obviously, has the capability to get deep. It's just a matter of the coaching change and the work she's done in between these tournaments has gotten her far enough along to get deep into this tournament. 
You got some other contenders. World number one, Simona Halep. She's going to the top seed here, won the French Open. Number two, Caroline Wozniacki. Won her first slam this year in Australia. Has been to the finals in Flushing Meadows twice. And then you have Kerber, who seeded fourth. Beats Serena at Wimbledon this year and won the U.S. Open back in 2016. One sleeper to watch on the women's side. Naomi Osaka, a 20-year-old from Japan. She won at Indian Wells this year on a hard court where she beat Maria Sharapova, Agnieszka Radwanska, former world number one Karolina Pliskova, and number one Simona Halep on her way to her first big title. She's also beaten Serena Williams in Miami this year. Granted, this was one of Serena's first matches in her return to the tour after giving birth, but it's still a huge victory. Osaka reached the third round here last year. She could easily get beyond that with a good draw. She's ranked 19th in the world. The tournament starts on August 27th. this coming Monday. It concludes on September 9th with the men's final. It'll be a fun two weeks of tennis. Coming up next, it's time for the seventh inning stretch, where I talk with Matt Rumack about how to win your fantasy football league this season. Welcome back to today's seventh inning stretch, where we take a look at seven points about a sports topic. Today, the focus is fantasy football, with a lot of people having their drafts in the coming weeks. So I want to offer the listeners a chance to get some tips on how to win their league and get bragging rights the next calendar year. Joining me today to discuss some of these winning strategies is Matt Rumack, a fantasy sports writer for RotoExperts.com. Matt, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Mike. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. Tell me a little bit about your history as a fantasy sports player and some of your noted successes. I've been playing fantasy sports since middle school. I got into fantasy football in maybe 2007. Uh, I've won three leagues. I came in second in my own commissioned league last year. I had by far the most points uh, of the season, but unfortunately my team flopped in the championship and I came in second. That one really hurt. That was my closest to winning one last year out of, uh, I only did two leagues last year, but looking to build on it from this year. I've got the same same two leagues that I'm in. I'm probably gonna join a few more, but uh, I'm looking forward to the 2018 season. Let's talk some fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I'm in three leagues this year. I have the one I run, which is the one I've had the most success in. I've won it. I've won on this this group of guys twice. I've been in the top four a bunch of times. I'm in a couple other ones, so I've had some pretty good runs. I think we have some good ideas here about how to help everybody win their leagues. Yeah, between my two teams last year, I had one that completely flopped, and then one that was in second. Uh, that's impressive, man. Sounds like you are really the expert here. All right, well, let's get let's get into this. Let's go into our first topic here, which is the number one thing, which I don't understand why more people don't do this. Just know the rules of the league. All it does, it takes you five minutes to log into the league, see what kinds of rules the commissioner's put in, knowing them can influence, and knowing them can influence your tra- drafting decisions. I mean, the difference between four points and six points for a passing touchdown is huge. Yeah, that value, makes a quarterback much more valuable when it's a six-point league. Uh, a couple years back, actually, I was already an experienced fantasy player, and I just completely forgot one year. I knew this rule, but I forgot. I forgot to check the scoring system, and I didn't realize it was a PPR. I'd never been in a PPR at that point. I drafted two running backs in round one and two, and I mean, I did okay. I think I came in. I think I missed the playoffs by like one game, and that probably was the difference right there. Was that I didn't draft a, a wide receiver. I didn't, <laughs> you know, PPR is more what puts more value on the wide receivers. So. Or the running backs who catch those passes, like your Le'Veon Bells and your David Johnsons. Yeah, I started, I think, with Marshawn Lynch and Jeremy Hill. Like that, It was after Hill's rookie season. Hill was a complete flop. Lynch was all right, but 
uh, doesn't catch passes. So yeah, he was totally devalued as far as I got him like the fifth pick. It was it was the worst pick of the first round by far. So definitely number one reason. Uh, you know, this is on number one on our topics for a reason. Definitely check your rules before you enter your or before you enter the league. If to see if you want to enter the league, and after your or you know if it's your friends and you have to join, then just at least let it for you for strategy's sake. Check the rules. Yeah, like the league I run, like. But people don't don't realize this, but like defense, team defense in this the league I run is worth a lot of points because we have bonuses for like yards allowed, points allowed, like fourth down stops. So like That's if you right. don't if you don't know that, you might just say, oh, I'll take my defense in the last round. Then you're sitting there like, why are they taking Jacksonville in the sixth round? And turns out the Jacksonville defense gets a lot of points in that set. That's that true. Checking defensive scoring, some people do like crazy things like oh, how many tackles they get or whatever. So like, there's a standard way of scoring that most of us are used to, but you never know. Sometimes you join a a private league on Yahoo with some random people just for fun. Yeah, anything can happen. <laughs> All right, let's go on to number point number two here, which is do some research. And a lot of these leagues, you're not playing for free. You're putting you're putting down some serious money to join these leagues. You might as well do some research, help you prepare for the drafts. Don't be that guy who drafts the running back in the fifth round who's out for the year. Be that guy who finds the sleeper who can win your league. Also, do a mock draft or two. It's not hard. Yahoo and ESPN host them. Just get on there. Do one from where you're drafting and see what kind of guys are going to be there. Yeah, I just did a mock draft the other day. Uh, I wrote a few things down about doing research for uh, everyone out there. Uh, if you're new and don't understand like how to draft, you see people who are new drafting quarterbacks in the first round or whatever, check out like draft strategies and advice from fantasy experts on where, you know, what round to pick, what position, like what players are going where. Uh, to repeat, check your rules, check your scoring system, check stats from players last year as well as projections for this year, um, check roster changes from last year, not just for fantasy players, but also like if a team bolstered their offensive line, maybe you want to take a running back from that team. So check, you know, kind of what kind of transactions happened in the offseason. Um, and then look at articles on sleepers, uh, unless you're like a huge NFL buff and you know all the second and third string guys who might be uh, a good sleeper pick in the later rounds. Uh, check out articles from fantasy experts on who you could pick up deep in the draft that might uh, be gold later. I'm great about the whole idea of checking the transaction, seeing who goes where, because like it's not just like oh, did, like running back change from team X to team Y. It's like a team like Carolina, for example, their offensive line is still not very good, and they lost one of their key players to Jacksonville over the winter. So now, like, you want does that affect Christian McCaffrey or Cam Newton in fantasy? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is important to know what fantasy players moved, like say Jimmy Graham moving to the Packers, but. As I was saying earlier, you just said uh, the entire team is important. Everything in football affects how your, your fantasy players are going to perform. Now, I may be a little old school, as you can see in front of you. I happen to read a magazine or two before the uh, draft, so I get some ideas and get some strategy stuff in there. But like, even if you don't want to go spend the $8 on the magazine, like, go online, Yahoo Sports, ESPN, they all have articles about like how teams are going to play, like what kind of sleepers to look for, stuff like that. It doesn't take long to actually get some in ideas in your head. Yeah, and in this day and age, like, we all just have our phones in our pocket. I mean, if you have a few extra minutes, you can be doing research. I know everyone's busy, but it's right there at your fingertips. Yeah, if you're sitting on the beach, you know, pull uh, pull the phone up, look some stuff up while you're just get, are you tanning. Yeah, I remember last year I spent lots of hours at work uh, researching a waiver wire and all that. <laughs> Let's go to point number three. Now, a lot of people talk about draft strategy, about how, oh, I have my board set up. I want to take these guys. That's all well and good, but you need to be flexible in the draft. Also known as, I like to call it playing the board, and depends, especially if you're sitting there like an 8 and a 12 team draft, 
maybe a guy makes you sit there going in and say, oh, I'm going to go running back, running back. If five running backs go the first three picks, then like Odell back is at eight. Take Odell Beckham. Be flexible. Be willing to go outside what you're playing for and see what the, the draft gives you. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I mean, unless you have like the first pick where you at least are locked in, you pretty much should know what your options are going to be. Say you have the fourth pick. You should write down four different guys based on if your guy has been taken. Like You have your number one priority guy, your number two, your number three, and your number four because there's at least there's only three guys that can be taken before you. So things like that, and then coming around, once after the first round, everything can change. You don't know who's going to go the first 10, 15, 20 picks. So, like, yeah, it doesn't matter, like, if you decide you're going to pick three wide receivers first. If there's a, you know, Le'Veon Bell is still available in the ninth pick, like, you better take Le'Veon Bell. Oh, exactly. I mean, it's just not difficult to, like, say it, but, like, it's tough for some people when they're doing it. They're, like, they do all this work, and all of a sudden, like, a bunch, let's say – people are fixated on the running back there because this running backs had a renaissance last year a lot of them put up a lot of points and say oh i want to run back in the first round but like again if you're sitting at nine and seven of them going in front of you you're, there's gonna be receiver talent you need to take yeah and uh this goes big for quarterbacks because some people are like yeah, i'll just get a quarterback in the 10th round 11th round because they, they devalue what if, if your entire league decides to do the same thing and aaron Rodgers is available in the fifth round i mean i would hope you're taking aaron Rodgers. you can make up that fifth round value with uh, a wide receiver or running back later on you're not going to get an Aaron, like you're not going to get a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or Wilson Tom Brady yeah I agree maybe I, Watson yeah Watson's an interesting guy what do you think about him this year because he's got he had he was phenomenal for seven games goes out with the injury comes back this year he's he's look Hulk's healthy in camp and he's got some weapons there you think he's going to be good well, Watson was on my team last year. He's on both my teams. I picked him up and then lost him, obviously. But so I, I am going to be after him. I'm hoping I can get him in the fifth or sixth round. Uh, I might reach. I might reach to the fourth round for him. I'm, just, I'm just so. When you had him in your lineup, you saw he single-handedly could win you matchups. There was one night I went to sleep pissed off that I had lost. I was down 15 points, and him, I had him and Hopkins. And they'd scored 30 points in the last eight minutes of a, of a Sunday night game, Monday, maybe Monday night game. It was unbelievable. I woke up and I'd won by 15 when I was down 15. That's always <laughs> nice when you go to bed thinking you've lost. You might be like, oh, wow, I actually won this week. I went to sleep angry and woke up and checked it, and I had won by a lot. It was unreal. Yeah, it's very nice. I feel like he is a guy who might get overhyped, though, and go get reached for because of what he did in those seven that, games. That's why I'm nervous because, I mean, it was pretty unsustainable what he did. It was unbelievable. But, like, it wasn't a fluke. The guy can play. That's the thing. It was. It wasn't a fluke. But at least just having numbers like that, it's. I don't know who else could really do it. I mean, he could run. He could throw. And he's got the web. I mean, he's gonna have Hopkins and and Will Fuller for hopefully the whole season now. And. Uh, I mean, his defense is gonna be good. The team's gonna be good. I think they're gonna get a lot of possessions. Now. Where do you think would be a true reach for him? Like, what round do you think is like a reach for for uh, Deshaun Watson? I mean, definitely don't take him in the first two rounds. I wouldn't take any quarterback in the first two rounds. The third round is a bit of a reach, but that's where – if you think he's the number one quarterback, because that's where the first quarterback generally goes uh, in a 10-team league, I'd say the third round is where it's between a reach. If he winds up doing what he did for those seven games, then I think it's worth it. Otherwise, I would take him in the fourth round or later. Okay, I'm glad he went to the area of reaching. So that's our next point, number four. Try not to reach too heavily in the first couple of rounds. In my opinion, the first three picks of the core of your team, 
when in doubt, lean toward a safer guy to ensure you get that production. Because if you whiff on your first round pick, that's a lot of work to overcome. Yeah, um, reaching is big with uh, with quarterbacks, like we were just mentioning with Watson, because they, you know, your top five quarterbacks could be in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round. So take a look at the rankings. I mean, the rankings sometimes they're wrong, but there's a reason why people have entire uh, their entire life is dedicated dedicated to fantasy football and ranking players. If, if somebody's ranked 75, don't grab them with the 40th pick. If somebody is ranked, I mean, once, maybe once you get to triple digits, then you can start messing around with somebody who's in the 350 rank and you grab them in the 12th round. I mean, there's a few guys that, that are worth reaching for, but I would say um, to at least seventh or eighth round is the earliest that you should be like grabbing these guys who like nobody knows about. They're not ranked highly and they might blow up in the second half of the season or whatever if an injury goes their way that's the very earliest I think realistically I wouldn't start going for for guys who, who didn't produce last year until the 10th round yeah I think in terms that's in terms of like rookies like your Rashad Pennies or your Royce Freemans in Denver in terms of like you think you have a big year don't go grab them in like round four where you can get them in round eight yeah wasn't Penny uh projected in like the fifth round though no or I'm not I'm not even sure but I think I mean, I mean some rookies we've seen rookies have lots of uh success in recent years especially at the running back position yeah i think in terms of like also like tight in terms of like think of a guy like jimmy graham for example a lot of people are high on jimmy graham because he switched teams went to green bay where he's gonna play with rogers rogers doesn't have nelson anymore so he's gonna look for a guy who's gonna be his big red zone guy i could see teams somebody going oh i'm gonna take jimmy graham in the third round when you could take a capable receiver and get graham around or two later yeah uh a lot of people are not overhyping graham because it's been known that rogers doesn't use his tight ends that much I, I mean, I wouldn't take Graham in the third round, but I think he'll have a good season. I mean, I, I think he's worth a sixth or seventh round pick, and I, that's that's going to be a top. Uh, like, he'll be the fifth or sixth tight end this year. Yeah, let's go on to our next point, number five. This involves being active on the waiver wire. Now, after your draft is over, you're going to feel good about your team. You think you did awesome. You think the rest of your league was miserable and didn't know what they were doing. But remember, champions are not made on draft day. They also involve people who were you find on the waiver wire, live in the early weeks of the season. Guys in your team are going to bust. You don't, you're never going to draft the perfect team. You don't have to make a move. You have to be ready to replace these guys who are busting with guys who have surprise starts of the year. Hey, if you're not going to be on the waiver wire, then you might as well not play fantasy football because it's pretty much impossible to win without making moves on waivers. The odds of you picking your first eight or ten guys, having them be your starters, and having them go through the season either not being injured or not losing their spot in the lineup or having a bust of a season – it's might as well go play Mega Millions. Yeah, it's it's ninety nine to one, whatever. It's a, it's a lot. It's not going to happen. You have to be like active on the waiver wire. You have to see who's getting injured, who's going to step up in their place, who's gotten if there's ever trades, pickups, whatever um, along <clears throat> around the league, guys who are whose role is being increased. Uh, there's a million reasons for why you might pick up or drop somebody based on production or opportunity. So. That's probably I'd say that's our number one most important rule, right? I mean, I think you I, can't win without without waivers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> think about last year. Deshaun Watson was not drafted in a lot of leagues. I, I picked him up in both of the leagues. I mean, he was a, he was a rookie quarterback. Rookie quarterbacks are almost always undrafted. I mean, yeah. are you going to take Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield or no? no unless not. you're in, unless you're in a dynasty league, you're probably not taking those guys. But if they come, step in and start killing it the way Watson did, it'll be snatched up like that. One of my favorite ones I always point to is like 
back in, I believe, 2009 or 2010, Arian Foster's first year. Nobody took him, and then he had like a 230. Was that long ago that he was a rookie? Yeah, he was really that long Seems ago. Seems like he was an old man by 2014, right? Yeah, he, well, <laughs> yeah, he didn't age very well, but we'll go back to like when he first came out with the Texans, he broke out. Like He kind of won the job in camp. Remember Peter King back then made his like, big deal about picking him in fantasy drafts. A lot of people didn't. In his opening game, he runs for like 150 yards and two touchdowns, and then he was the number one pick off the waivers, and he ended up winning a lot of games, a lot of championships. Oh, yeah. Uh, Deshaun Watson could have done the same thing if he had stayed healthy. There's been – every year there's somebody who, could, who who probably was the best waiver player last year that stayed healthy. Probably Alvin Kamara, I would think. Oh, yeah, Kamara. That's, yeah, he's going to be a first-rounder this year. You yeah. can't say anybody else that was undrafted last year to first-rounder. Even Odell Beckham a few years ago, when he missed when his, his rookie year, missed the four games with the ankle injury, and he was probably a waiver wire pickup. He won a guy in my league. He won the league for him because he was dominant down the stretch. Oh, you know who I picked up in the rookie season? Who was that? Odell. So my, he, in my league, he went undrafted. I picked him up. He, you know, I remember he's uh, injured for like four weeks to start his yeah. career, and I picked him up the week before. The rest was history. I won that league. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people had Odell got a championship bump that year. Yeah, I, I I had a great team that year. That was when I had Jamal Charles first pick when he was actually alive and well. Um, I, I picked Antonio Brown before Antonio Brown. It was the first year that he became a, like a number one receiver, but he was, I got him like the third round that year. That was Alsha, I had Alshon Jeffrey. I had uh, Mark Ingram. I had, I had a great team that year. And Odell Beckham. Spe- speaking of Beckham and Brown, like where do you think like the, who do you think like the top receivers are this year in fantasy? Top five, let's say. I think Hopkins is going to overtake Antonio Brown. Really? Yeah, I think he's going to be one. Brown's going to be two. I mean, I think like with a healthy Watson, and I think, I mean, Brown's been absolutely. I'm putting him as number two, so he'll be fine. But I think uh, I'm just predicting Big Ben's probably going to get hurt this year. That's I mean, it's bad to predict injuries, but he's just he's been beaten his whole career, and he's he's I, I don't know if he even really wants to still play he was talking about retiring last year I just think something will happen he'll, he'll get beat up and as soon as you get a new quarterback in Antonio Brown's useless Hopkins if he loses Watson he's still okay as we saw last year yeah. uh, so two Hopkins uh, number three I'll go with my guy Odell number four I'll go with Julio Jones and number five I'll say uh, Michael Thomas is going to have a big year. You're in on Michael Thomas. Yeah, he still has Drew Brees as his quarterback. The fact and that they're running the ball more doesn't concern you about his numbers? Well, they don't have Ingram for the first four weeks, and they don't like to run Kamara more than 10 or 12 times a game. Why would yeah. they? Like he's They're stud. So early on, I think he's going to really get you know have big a couple big games, and that will gain his confidence. And uh, I want to I grab him early in the second round. Yeah, I think that's a good spot for him. All right, let's go on to our next point, number six, which is be keep an eye on your bye weeks, especially in leagues where you have weekly move limits where you can say you only make four pickups a week. Be sure you have your bye situation set up as best you can. Don't be that guy who drafts two quarterbacks to share the same bye week. If, you have a, if you're in a league with move limits, don't end up where you have your kicker and your defense on the same bye and you have to replace them both in one shot and you have two moves down the drain. Just be aware of those things. Don't let it dominate your strategy, but like, you're signing with two similar guys. Take you could take the guy whose bye week situation helps you out. Yeah, this one's pretty simple. I mean, for guys who are ultra new at fantasy, when you draft a guy, it'll tell you their bye week. Just make sure, yeah, you don't have two or three. Three of your receivers have the same bye week. All of a sudden, you got to just have a bunch of scrubs in there. 
or a couple running backs, a couple quarterbacks, you know, or like seven guys on your team that have <laughs> that all have the same buy. All of a sudden, you have a new squad for one week. Although some people do. I was about to ask like, you about that. What do you think about that whole idea of like, oh, let's say everybody can buy in week 10. Yeah. You, you, are you punting week 10 and saying I'm going to have my best squad some the rest of the year? Yeah, some people just say I'm going to forfeit one week and I'll be strong the rest of the year. I mean, that is a way to go about it, I guess. But um, I, I, I've always thought about that. But the thing that scares me about that is like, even like if it doesn't go to plan, you're four and five and like week 10 comes and like you need the win and you don't have your team. It's a problem. <laughs> Maybe do it if with, all with week five. So it's yeah. not too early. I don't know. <laughs> It's a very risky strategy to do that, but I feel like I've never. I don't. For the most part, I don't pay attention to it unless like they start piling with, up. With, yeah, mm -hmm. the most important is with your quarterbacks because yeah, you don't want. What's the point of drafting a backup quarterback if you're not going to use him in the bye week? Because that's essentially the only time. Unless he becomes the better quarterback, that's the only time you're going to use him, your backup, or unless you get two guys that are similar that you swapping in yeah. and out each week how do you feel about that would you rather have one guy where you can put him in most of the time you you like having two guys you can rotate based on the matchup sort of like between like your 10 and 13 kind of quarterbacks i hate to regret who i put in so i like to have a clear number one was last year well i um once watson went out like he was the easy pick once when i picked him up but then I had to choose every week between Kirk Cousins and Case Keenum, and I was just wrong all the time. Like, one week it was Cousins, the next week it was Keenum. It's tough, I mean. So if you have one, you can't blame yourself when you, you know, if you're, play, if you're plugging Brady or Rodgers every week and they have an off week, and they're going to reward you 12 weeks of the year. So out of the, you know, 15 or 16 fantasy weeks, they're, they're yeah. I mean, so. I actually tried this strategy one year. I think one year I drafted, I think, like Matt Ryan in the eighth round, I think, I had Vic when Vic was on the Eagles after he had his first big year at them. I was rotating them for a while, and at the beginning of the year it was working out well. I was hitting on every pit, every start, and, and then the the odds switched back to their favors. I kept getting it wrong, and then I started losing games, and it was got very annoying. Yeah, it can be frustrating. I mean, but on the on the other side of the coin, if you don't want to take a guy in the fourth, fifth, sixth round with a quarterback, and you just want to get him tenth, eleventh, then you can grab two or three down there and beef up your lineup up top with wide receivers and running backs. That's that's uh, the quandary of fantasy drafting is where do you do you beef up the top five rounds with all wide receiver running back tight end or do you get a quarterback there and try and hit some home runs late in the round okay let's go on to our last point here number seven be a fair trader now there's a good chance you're gonna need something and you're gonna want to make a trade everybody hates that guy in your league who offers you three mediocre players for your superstar you get a bad rep people don't want to trade with you be sure you're offering some value back in order to get people to help you out when you need it. Because, I mean, you, you had that guy who called you and says, oh, I'll give you, like, a number two wide receiver, a handcuffed running back, and a backup quarterback for Antonio Brown. This one, it seems like genetic. You're either that guy that you just explained who just sends ridiculous trades, or you can or you know what's going on and you understand what's fair. Obviously, you're always trying to get a little edge. You're trying to get somebody. Oh, yeah, for sure. You're not but, trying to help the other team be better than you. There's a difference between trying to, you know, get the edge and, and just disrespecting the guy that you're sending a trade to. Yeah. So um, just be realistic. I mean, look at, like, where these guys are ranked, how they've been uh, performing, how they're going to be projected, and, you know, don't be sending uh, – a bunch of bench players for my best player it's like sending multiple players in fantasy football for one player doesn't help because they have to drop players that now so so all you 
all you're doing is sending three for three as far as they're concerned because they still have to pick two more guys to send to the waivers. Not only that, like you're, the, the points you lose are the one, like the three guys often don't aim after the points the one you're trading away. So like it's like you're just chasing points. Right, there's only one slot yeah. to, to fill. So Okay, that was our fantasy football tips on how to win your league. Hopefully you use some of these to win your strategy. Matt, you want to stick around and help me break out a brand new segment on the podcast? Yeah, let's do it. All right, stay tuned for our brand new segment all about sports gambling right after this brief introduction. Show me the money. That's right. We're back with our brand new segment, Show Me the Money. We're going to help make NFL picks every single week of the regular season or to try and help you win some money. Since the regular season hasn't started just yet, we're going to get into the mood of betting with some NFL over-unders. I'm back with Matt Rumack from RoeExperts.com to get things started. Before we get into it, Matt, can you tell me about some of your biggest success stories on sports bets? My biggest success stories? Uh, I mean, I mostly bet uh, ba- right nowadays I'm doing baseball parlays. I won one last night. Uh, I bet the, all the 10 o'clock games. Um, uh, so where do you, you, you usually throw your money at? You throw it on the parlays? You throw it on just like game money lines? Uh, on baseball, I mostly do parlays. Uh, basketball, I mostly do spreads because it's, you know, that's what basketball is. Football, I bet I'll bet spreads and a parlay here and there. Uh, two weeks ago, I, I won um, a golf bet. I bet on Justin Thomas to win the Bridgestone and won a few hundred bucks. That's that's probably one of my bigger wins lately. Yeah, I feel like golf is easy to bet just because like it's it's not easy. I mean, like it's more lucrative because the favorites don't have like those two to one odds. Uh, the odds are like. 10 to 1 ish like for your the, favorites. Like the favorites are 8 to 1, 10 to 1, and then you can bet a guy. Justin Thomas was 20 to 1 that week. Um, you know, generally you're betting guys between 10 to 1 and 40, 50. I mean, you could bet guys that are 100, 200, whatever. Ted Potter Jr. was 300 to 1 when he won at Pebble Beach early this year. I did not have him. But <laughs> um, yeah, and, and golf, what you can do, you can bet, what I'll do is bet five or six guys um, at the start of the week. And when the final round comes, you can hedge your bets. They'll have updated odds on the guys that are up at the top. And you can hedge by a couple guys that you didn't have. Hopefully, hopefully you've gotten one or two of those guys into the hunt. If not, then it's tough. But um, if you spread your bets on five or six guys, get two or three into the, in the hunt, and then you hedge two or three, most of the time you're going to come out on top. Okay, we're going to talk a little football betting today. Before we get into that, what kind of uh, football fan are you? Uh, I'm a Giants fan. I'm a fantasy football fanatic, obviously. But yeah, I'm uh, I bleed blue. I'm I'm New York Giants. Yes, when when did you get into being a Giants fan? Uh pretty much my whole life. I got like really into it, you know, once you become like football baptized. I, I'm 2004 or 5 is when I really started getting into them. So right around Eli came in the league around there. Pretty much, yeah. Eli Eli was big and I was, you know, for me that was high school. So uh yeah, it's, it's been a good run for me. I mean, two championships in that time. I think any fan. It's been a rough lately, but you as know, a Giants fan, I don't have too much to complain about over my. Uh, well, now they got a new coach. They got an exciting rookie running back. They have a. They built the offensive line finally. So maybe now this year they'll get back to the playoffs. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm optimistic. People and football is the sport where you can be a terrible team and be a great team the next year. Look at the Jaguars last year. I mean, there's always. Every year, there's three or four teams that weren't in the playoffs the year before, and are. There's never going to be all 12 teams from the year before. So I'm. I mean, everything about the Giants is looking better than it was last year from a health standpoint, from their offense, offensive line, the weapons that they have. 
the defense should be should be stronger. Olivier Vernon is back. I'm hoping for a big season and, and a, that they're going to surprise some people. All right. So today we're going to do over under bets. Vegas has a setup where you can where they will project a win total for the team. One of the most popular bets is to win is to bet whether they will go over or under the Vegas number. As an example, I do these for baseball as well. I give an example to the listeners. These are bets I made with a friend of mine off air back at the end of the baseball season. His picks were Arizona over 85 and a half wins, which that looks pretty good so far. Nice. Toronto under 81 looks good. Yankees over 94 and a half is a lock. Giants under 81 and a half is going to be close. Rockies over 82 looks pretty good. Cubs under 94 and a half, he might lose because the Cubs are trending up, but we'll see where that goes. I my bets have not been going so well. Who'd you pick? I have Dodgers under ninety six and a half, which I should get. I took the Mets as an over, over eighty one. It looked great for two weeks and it's been miserable since. Honestly, I probably would have taken them over. Yeah, eighty one. The numbers seem right, and they they, they looked like they're geniuses. Mays look like geniuses after the eleven and one start, but everything fell apart after that. Took the Cardinals under eighty five and a half. It's gonna come down to the wire for me. Took the White Sox over 68, which looks terrible. Yeah. <laughs> took Tampa under 77 and a half, and they've been above 500 most of the way, so that's probably not going to end up being great. And my best one, Seattle over 81 and a half, which I should get running away. You should get it in like a week, right? <laughs> yep. Should get uh, that soon. I actually did five over-unders in baseball if you want to hear them. Sure, how'd you do? For me, well... It's all about the Indians because I'm definitely going to go two and two, and then the fifth team is the Indians. So I got the the Yankees should go over 94 and a half. I did them. Yeah, that's a lock. The Nationals over 92 and a half is absolutely dead. Yeah, that, that, that's that's dead and buried. Uh, the Rays under 76 and a half is pretty much dead. I mean, they've been playing solid. Yeah, we're both both in trouble on the Rays. The Rockies over 80 and a half is right. definitely going to win. Yeah, I think they have like 74 win or no, I don't know. They're they're, they're right there. They're close. <laughs> Um, and then the Indians are my last team, over 94 and a half. They've been scorching hot lately, and I'm hoping that they just keep it going for like three more weeks, and they should be able to get it. But it, it's going to be close. I think they need to go seven games over 500 for the rest of the year. So really anything can happen, especially because they're like 30 games up in their division, and they're not going <laughs> to they're not gonna have to try the last two weeks to win it. Okay, that's, that's how it works. That's how the setup works. We're going to do it for football today. Vegas has odds out right now. We are, use the same set of numbers to make our picks. You can go to oddshark.com and look up NFL over-unders. That's where we have our numbers from. So let's make this interesting. Doing it just for prize, not for fun. You want to put some actual money on the line on this? Yeah, sure. How much? <laughs> how about, 20 bucks? 20 bucks sounds good to me. 20 bucks. All right, so we're going to play 20 bucks the on the line. Bet. Since since you are the guest, I will give you the first choice in the over-unders. Then we will go snake draft after that. So I, you go one, I'll go two, and three. Then we'll just go back and forth after that. Okay. Okay, so you, you with your first choice, who are you taking? Well, with my first choice, I'll take the one that I can't lose, the Patriots over 11. Uh, pretty much every year they win 11, 12, or 13 games. I can't, like, to lose this bet, they have to go 10 and 6. And they just never do that. I mean, they'll start two and two or two and three even, and they'll finish the season thirteen and three, twelve and four. I feel like the worst you can do there is a push. Yeah, I agree. I had that on my list. I looked back at it earlier today. The Patriots have not won less than twelve games since two thousand and nine. When that year they won ten, so they're gonna be right there, and they probably will go over. 
Yeah, I mean, as long as Brady stays healthy and, you know, he's very he's pretty good at staying out of harm's way, they should be fine. Okay. Plus, Belichick is still the coach, right? I mean, yeah. As long as Brady and Belichick are there, you can't go wrong taking the Patriots and over. Yeah, it's hard to lose that bet. If you get a push, you get a push. Okay. I'm going to line up for two picks. My first one is I am going to go with the Green Bay Packers over 10. I believe in Aaron Rodgers being healthy, being a big help. I think Jimmy Graham is going to help that offense. I think they're going to beat the Bears and Lions four times so that it will help boost their schedule. And their schedule is not that hard. Green Bay is going to be in the mix. I think they could at worst push the 10. They'll probably get to 11. That's true. They'll probably benefit because uh, would they come in third in their division last year? So they'll probably have an easier schedule than they normally would. Uh, but what, you're not concerned? No Jordy? No uh, Is there no defensive concerns for you? Well, Jordy is Jordy is uh, had a down year last year. and Now, he didn't look like he had much left. Now he's out in Oakland where he's going to be the number two to Amari, Amari Cooper. I don't worry about that. Defense is a valid concern, but I think – Mo Wilkerson getting out from the Jets and having to play for a contract. I think he'll get another big year and help up front. All right. My next pick, I am going to take the Dallas Cowboys under eight and a half wins. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't pick them that. But I didn't pick anything for the Cowboys, but yeah. as a Giants fan, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah here's here's <laughs> eight, eight and eight again. <laughs> yeah. Number one, this is all generally where they fall. They're usually between, like, usually eight and eight and nine and seven. Yeah, every year. I have a Cowboys, uh, a good friend who's a Cowboys fan. I'm just like, eight and eight, Lou. They're going eight and eight again. <laughs> We're nine and seven because yeah. it's not good enough to make the playoffs anyway. Yeah. I know several <laughs> Cowboys fans. So, and I have issues with this team. It's Don't like, we all? No matter where yeah. you live in the country, you know a couple of moron Cowboys fans, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, here's, here's my issue with the Cowboys is number one. Dak has no weapons outside of Ezekiel Elliott, and that's a huge problem for a guy who needs a talent. Terrence kick. Williams, bro. Terrence. <laughs> I have like Cole every Beasley. Every Cowboys fan though cannot stand Terrence Williams. Alan it's, Hearns is the number one receiver. What are you that, talking about? I mean, losing Dez, you know, Dez on the decline hurts. Witten retiring is a big hurt, and I don't like the defense. I they have not been able to get that defense right for a couple of years. Their schedule's not easy. I could see them just getting to eight and eight, seven and nine, and just Their struggling. Their defense is never great and never terrible. It's just, but it's never a, a, a squad that's going to win you a game. And yep. so, <laughs> they could just stack the box and destroy Zeke. Like he's gonna, he's gonna get destroyed. I mean, they, they that's like, it's not even fair. They're gonna, they're gonna just put all their attention to Ezekiel Elliott and then put put it all on Dak Prescott, and he's shown he can't do it without Ezekiel Elliott. So I agree. All right, you're up for two picks now, so you can go ahead with your next right. two choices. We're going two, two, two. Okay. Yep, we'll go two, two the rest of the way. Um, let's see. So just what I'm second most confident in. All right, I'm going to go under for the Seahawks, eight wins. Um, the Legion of Boom is gone. Uh, their offensive line still is a mess, I think. Horrendous. Uh, it's been a mess for a while, and Russell Wilson's like only because he's brilliant does has he not gotten killed. Um, but it's not he, they have to go nine and seven for you to lose that bet, and they're not having a win. They're in a pretty solid division now. You can't just walk over the Niners anymore. Uh, the Rams are the class of the division now, and the Cardinals are probably gonna be bad. But two good two good teams and a bad team that's a tough division and. And the Seahawks, uh, I don't think they have a very easy schedule this year either. So Yeah, I had the Seahawks on my list as well, for all the reasons you stated, plus the fact that they don't have a running game. They have no like Russell proven Wilson, backs. Russell Wilson's the running game. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, <laughs> their running backs are either Penny, who we mentioned in the fantasy segment, or Chris Carson, and that's not good enough. 
And they had a couple of guys leading free agency like Jimmy Graham, Paul Richardson. It's not taking weapons away from yeah, Wilson. Yeah, Gra- that's right. Graham and Richardson are gone, so now they can double Baldwin every time. And I don't think uh, Tyler Lockett is – he has one or two good games a year, you know. I could definitely see him taking a step back. So where are you going next? Next I'll go uh, – on here I had the Colts six and a half. I'll go over. Andrew Luck can make, take any team and make them eight and eight. I don't even need to say much more than that. They, they, I, I'm not. Even, I'm not going to like tell you they have a great defense. They have a great O line. They have Andrew Luck. That's and that's and that's all they need. That not only is he a great player, but he'll, he'll just lift the spirit of the team compared to last year. Yeah. Do you, do you does the line concern you at all? The fact that like if he goes down again, you, you're gonna, you're relying on Jacoby Brissett to get you over seven wins. If luck gets hurt, then I lose. I mean, but what you know, I'm betting on him not being hurt for two entire seasons in a row. I guess um, it's. I hope it doesn't happen. If he gets hurt, yeah, then I lose. I, I mean, if he gets hurt, they could still like squeak their way to seven and nine. You never know. I mean, they, if they can, he can get them to be five and four, get hurt, and they get two wins. You know, like it could happen. It's yeah, like it, if the number's low enough that like it's if, low. Yeah, if he plays the whole season, he has to win eight games or seven games. He's he's too good. He still has T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, the offense should be able to outscore that defense um, for a couple of games. Still, I, I mm-hmm. think Marlon Mack is okay, and they yeah. then they draft a couple of running back to. Yeah, they did so to rival him. All right, so now I'm back on the clock for two picks. I'm going with my favorite under on the board here. I am taking the L.A. Chargers under nine and a half wins. I do not like this. Everybody hyping them up. They got off to a very slow start last year. They play in a soccer stadium where half the building is visiting fans every game. I don't think, and I feel like that they're very overhyped. They play in a, t- in a tougher than expected division because the Raiders are going to be a challenge. Denver still has a good defense, even if you're not sure about the quarterback situation. The Chiefs are the Chiefs. I think the Chargers are going to go under very convincingly. I think this is going to be like a 6-10 and 10 flop. Any thoughts? I have them over. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll pick them because they were my like wild card in case we, need a, we had some same ones, so yeah. I'm not sure if I'm going to use it yet, but... Uh, they have Bosa and Ingram on the defensive line, and the defense starts and ends on the quarterback rush. And I don't know if you realize, but they started 0-4 last year and still wound up 9-7. and Two of those first four games that they lost, they had 99% win odds at some point in the game. They completely did, you know, Chargers going to Charger. They completely just flopped at the end. And, yeah, maybe that will happen once or twice again this year. But this is their division to take. They've got, uh, I think, a pretty. They got a pretty solid defense. They've got Philip Rivers. Keenan Allen is is at the height of his career right now. I know they lost Hunter Henry, but um, people forget they have a uh, was it Mike Williams? He was yeah. a top ten pick a year ago, and it's like he's a complete afterthought. Yeah, my issue with the Chargers is like also I don't I think the number is too high. I think nine and a half is too big. I think whoever wins that division is going to be nine and seven. I think the number. I think the number is only that low because they're the Chargers and because yeah. they're known to blow games in horrific fashion. I think it should have been 10 or 10 and a half because I disagree. I, th- I think everybody in their division, aside from them, is a seven or eight win yeah. team uh, between the Raiders, Broncos. One, one of the three is going to overproduce, but I think two of the three is going to underproduce. Um, the Chiefs have a, a rookie quarterback who, and I don't know if you've looked at the Chiefs' schedule, but their first six games is. It's like ridiculous, and it could really hurt. Almost as bad as the Giants' first seven. <clears throat> yeah, um, the, it could really hurt Mahomes' confidence. Like the first six games, they have to play San Diego and Pittsburgh on the road, San Francisco, Denver, Jacksonville, and New England for their first six games. I mean, that they could be one and five easily. 
Yeah, I just don't. For me, it's just an issue with the Chargers. That's my right. issue. So I have one more to go before it goes back to you. I am going to go with an over here. I am going to take the 49ers over 8.5 for one reason and one reason only, Jimmy Garoppolo. The man knows how to win football games. 7-0, and right? Never lost a start yet. Has anybody started their career 7-0? and I mean, technically, I think, I think Ben did in 04 when he came in for really? this Seven and Ben like won a lot of games in a row when he came in because he got came after Max got hurt the first game, and then he like ripped off a whole bunch of wins and they went fifteen and one that year, I think. Wow. Well I think I I, I believe in Jimmy G. I think that, that division is I think they'll take advantage of the of the Cardinals and the and the uh Seahawks that can split with the Rams. Their schedule is not that difficult because they were bad last year. I could see them easily being in the mix for a wild card. I I didn't bet for or against the Niners, but they're a big reason why I went under for the Seahawks. I mean like the they, they make that division a, a tough division this year, and, and the Seahawks are definitely going backwards. If they're, like Russell Wilson is going to have to go 5,000 yards and 700 rushing yards to keep <laughs> to them in it. Yeah, to have the, any chance. Or the defense is going to have to find somebody. But when you're losing you know, Earl Thomas and Rich Sherman and Cam Chancellor all gone, what do you have left? Yeah. All right, so you are now back on the clock for two more picks. You have right. so far. You have two overs and one under. Okay, so only one more over and two more unders. All right. Well, I'll go with uh, more Deshaun Watson love. I'll go with the Texans over eight and a half. Um, this team, they're getting Watson back. Hopefully, fully help, healthy. They still got his number one option in Hopkins, and then he makes Will Fuller one of the best receivers in the league. When you have those two threats on your side, you're gonna have a good offense. And they still have Lamar Miller. He's a workable player and then they're gonna have a healthy Jadavian Clowney and JJ Watt I mean those are two game changers on defense like the Texans have throughout their history they've actually been a defensive um it'd be a good defensive team yeah they, they've been they've had a defensive identity for their entire uh, 15 or so years in the NFL yeah I feel like with them I thought about them but the issue I had was just the division is so tough because like Jacksonville was in the AFC Championship game last year. Tennessee made the playoffs. The Colts have luck back. I could see that being a hard division for them to, like, get out of. That's true, but the, I think they could split with all three of those teams. I mean, I'm not and – I, and I think they can beat the Titans twice. Um, remember what they did to them last year? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, I think Deshaun Watson's got their number. But um, All right, so now you have two unders left to pick. You can take one here and then one after my last two. Okay, so we're going back-to-back back unders. I did the Seahawks. The Chiefs, under 8.5. They have a rookie quarterback. Like I was talking about their schedule earlier, uh, their first six games, they could easily be 1-5 or 0-6. Or so they have to play San Diego, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, Denver, Jacksonville, and New England. So you have the two AFC championship teams from last year. And then Pittsburgh, who lost a round earlier. And then San Diego, who everybody is extremely high on. Well, L.A., not even San Diego anymore. I'm sorry. I love San Diego. <laughs> L.A. Chargers. You know, it should, be, it should be in San Diego, but they're not. <laughs> and then San Francisco and Denver. And you like San Francisco. And Denver is a good – I mean, Denver's the perfect team for a rookie quarterback. I mean, they'll know how to handle them on defense. So – I could see him playing well and them still going six and ten, seven and nine, eight and eight. It's gonna be it's gonna be all to me, it's all on their their defense, at least for those first six games, if they're gonna have any chance. If they don't get out of there three and three, I don't see any way that they're gonna come back and, and get to nine and seven. 
Yeah, for me, I thought about them as a tricky number because because of the quarterback change. But I thought I stayed away from it because of one, Andy Reid's a great regular season coach and great developing quarterback. So if anybody can get something out of Mahomes, it will be him. And Mahomes has the setup to succeed. He has a lot of weapons on offense. Got Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Now Sammy Watkins is in there. I feel like they have enough of the ability to tread water and be right around that number. I didn't feel comfortable picking it. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean. But I don't see him making the playoffs, and in the AFC, nine and seven might make the playoffs, right? So, yeah. All right, eight and eight or lower, it is for me. Okay, so I have I'm gonna finish up with one over and one under. I'm going to take my first over. I'm going to take the New York Giants over seven wins. Oh, I, I forgot to take the Giants. <laughs> oh well. I think in terms of the Giants, <laughs> I think that like the number is the schedule is tough for them early. The first seven games we've gone over a lot of times is very tough, but. If they can just go three and four through that, they should be able to coast to the second half, get to ten wins, and be right in the mix for a playoff spot. Yeah, their second half, I, I went with Giants over. I just for for this segment, I forgot to to use them, but it doesn't matter. I'll put yeah. my real money on it later. Yeah. Um, they have to go six and ten for you to lose this bet, and I mean, they this team, this franchise historically doesn't go six and ten. Yeah, the last few years have been rough. Yes, but between like two thousand. Uh, since Eli's came, I think they've had three seasons that were under seven and nine. So, this just from a franchise standpoint, they know how to win. I mean, they're not going to win the Super Bowl or even make the playoffs every year, but they they can be eight and eight. And I mean, as a you know, as a Giants homer, I think they're going to surprise and at least be nine and seven. So I I love the Giants. They got weapons everywhere. The defense is going to be healthier. The offensive line is going to be not atrocious. Better, I'll say average. Good enough. Good enough for Saquon and to keep Eli alive. Okay. So that's that's one. And my under, I'm going to take the Miami Dolphins under six and a half. Because I think I agree. The AFC East <laughs> the AFC East is not a great division, but Miami is not a lot going for them right now. You don't know what Ryan Tannehill's gonna be coming back after his injury. They made a lot of weird personnel decisions in the offseason. Let some quality guys go. Let Jarvis Land they traded Jarvis Land to Cleveland for no reason. They got rid of some other they got rid of Dominic and Sue. The, division, the schedule was a bit tough for Miami. I think the Jets might be better than they are. Buffalo has a better defense than they do, even though Buffalo has quarterback issues right now. I could easily see Miami going like 3-13, and 13, being in position to take a quarterback in the draft next year. Yeah, I that was going to be my last one, so I'm going to have to update it. I made a mistake and didn't do enough unders Yeah. Uh, now that you took one of mine, but I completely agree. Tannehill, blah. Defense not very good. Their secondary is bad, and, and this you cannot have a bad secondary in 2018 and ex- expect to get away with it. Uh, I see them as a four or five win team. Yeah, just I have, I also think that like what I didn't use, I think like the Jets will do better in that division. I can see them being over, but like I think the Jets are better than them because I think the Jets have a talented young defense, and I think they have the quarterback in place now finally. And I think the mix is there; they can be good in that division. I just don't think Miami is set up well. All right, just real quick, I'm looking at it. I'm going to go under eight for the Ravens. Joe Flacco is bad at football. That's it. <laughs> yeah. No, um, and the division's tougher. That You still have the Steelers. I think the Browns are going to be – They're going to they're gonna win games this year. They're not going to go zero, yeah, over. They'll split with the Ravens at least. Like the, I think they're going to be – I mean, if you look at their team, they have actually a lot of good players at a lot of positions. They could actually be a good team. We just remember what uniform they wear, and we write them off. You won't, yeah, the Ravens tend to get overrated a little bit just based on the fact that they're the Ravens. And while, yeah, exactly. They've had a lot of success in the last five, ten years. But those 
that defense is gone. Ray Lewis and all of them are, are gone. Or they're old. Yeah, Terrell um, Suggs is like 36. Suggs is, yeah, 36. I don't understand how he still plays football. Um, that, that's it's a completely new team with yeah the the quarterback that had one fluky good year to get him a Super Bowl. Uh, also, the last team I didn't mention in their division, the Bengals. While they're probably a six or seven win team, should be good for a one win against the Ravens. So, yeah. um, they have to be nine and seven for you to lose that bet. So I'll take the under of eight. Eight's, eight's a push. I, I still I think they're a seven and nine, maybe six and ten team this year. All right. So to recap, what we have here: Matt's bets, Patriots over eleven, Seahawks under eight, Colts over six and a half, Texans over eight and a half, Chiefs under eight and a half. And Ravens under eight. How you feel about that slate? Those are my picks, so I feel pretty good about them. <laughs> All right. I have Packers over 10, Cowboys under eight and a half, Chargers under nine and a half, 49ers over eight and a half, Giants over seven, and Dolphins under six and a half. And now that will do it for the first ever segment of Show Me the Money. So everybody knows, going forward, this segment will feature NFL picks against the spread every week of the regular season. Matt, since you are the first guest here, you can be the honorary captain of the Challengers team. Awesome. Yeah, so we're going to see who does better, the rotating panel of guests, or me picking every week. It will be an interesting experiment, to say the least. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah. We'll definitely bring it, check in with you at some point this season, update how these overrunners are going and make some picks. But before you go, can you let everybody know some of the stuff you're up to and how to follow you on social media? Yeah, on Twitter, I am at RumacDFS. That's R-U-M-A-C-K-D-F-S. Uh, as far as my fantasy writing, I'm on uh, RotoExperts.com and NYDailyNews.com with a weekly fantasy golf article. Uh, if you play DFS golf, that's my main expertise these days. Um, follow me at Rumac DFS. I'll probably start getting into football as the season goes along. All right. There you have it, folks. That was Matt Rumac. First ever show me the money segment now in the books. Up next, our two-minute drill where I air some grievances against both the baseball teams right after this. back with today's two-minute drill as i said at the top of the show i've had issues with both new york teams of late let's start with the yankees yankees celebrated their 20th world series anniversary of the 1998 team back on august 18th brought back most of the players and the coaches for a pre-game ceremony a few nobles weren't there including Derek cheater who now owns the marlins taped a video message for the occasion el duque wasn't there and joe girardi was not there now girardi declined an invitation to the festivities which is not surprising considering the Yankees unceremoniously dumped him after a 10-year run as manager that included a World Series championship and a run to the ALCS last year. What was surprising, however, is the fact the Yankees didn't bother acknowledging Girardi's presence on the 98-team during the ceremony. Now, Girardi wasn't the only one who got ignored. The Yankees chose not to mention anyone who didn't attend, like Al Duque, Mike Stanton, and Ricky Lede, but Girardi's as the most noticeable. Here's Girardi's 1998 stats. He played 78 games, Batted 276 with three homers, 31 RBIs, and started two playoff games. Now, this is not the 25th man on the roster. This is Joe Girardi. He was the backup catcher. He split time with Jorge Posada. He was a leader on that team. Acting like he doesn't exist in the ceremony made the Yankees look very petty. Even if Girardi chose not to attend, which is his right, all it would take was a few minutes to acknowledge the players chose not to attend, including him with a video tribute. 
The Yankees made sure to play a video message from Derek Jeter. They easily could have cut together some highlights from Girardi, El Duque, Lede, Stanton, about the 98 season. The fact they didn't bother is a bad luck for a franchise that prides itself on class. As far as the Mets are concerned, my issue with them is the fact that they don't understand what the concept of versatility in baseball really means. Versatility is a big buzzword these days, specifically in terms of how to get players to play in multiple positions. It, it works for teams. The Chicago Cubs won the World Series in 2016 this way with guys playing everywhere, with Ben Zobers playing second in the outfield, Chris Bryant playing third in right field, Wilson Contreras catching and playing in the outfield. The Mets are trying to do this, and they're, one of their brilliant strategies is to play Dominic Smith in left field. Now, Smith is came up as a first baseman who's known for having good defense at first. But the Mets said, nope, we're going to play Wilmer Flores at first. Dom's going to play the outfield. Flashback to Monday night, 13th inning. Dom Smith is in left field. The, Met, the Giants have two men on with two out. Tyler Bachelor gets a pop-up. Ahmed Rosario is coming out there. It's his ball. should make the play. But Dom Smith does not what he's doing in left field. Collides with Rosario. Ball drops. Run scores. Giants win. Now, I feel bad for Don Smith. Dom has not gotten a chance to play his natural position, so the Mets are sticking him in left field just to find a way to use him. Now, I get the idea of versatility being important, but versatility has to make sense. Playing Dominic Smith in left field makes no sense. Just because you can physically stand at a position does not make you versatile. Let me give you an example of my own personal experience. Granted, I'm not a professional baseball player. Back in college, I used to play a lot of pickup softball with my friends back in the day. I played mostly second base and caught, but I also played right field, first base, and third on occasion. Was I versatile for playing positions? Yes. Was I good at all of them? No. Just because you can stand there with a glove and, and play the position does not mean you're actually good at it. Having someone at a position they're not good at is just leads to bad defense, leads to mistakes, which leads to extra runs, extra pitches for the pitcher, and extra outs for the other team to take advantage of. The Mets do not understand that versatility matters only if someone is capable of doing playing more than one position adequately. Don Smith should be left alone at first base and given a chance to actually play there, not shuttle all around the field. There have been rumblings in the Mets are thinking of putting Ahmed Rosario in center field. This is a franchise that started Lucas Duda and Daniel Murphy in the outfield in the past. Defense matters in today's game. Versatility matters in terms of having people who are competent at playing multiple positions, not just guys who can stand there with a glove and handle it. Playing infields in the outfield just to get right-handed bats in the lineup is not versatility. That's just laziness. And that will do it for today's show. I want to thank my guest Matt Rumack for coming on and talking a bit of football, both fantasy and gambling. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including a more detailed preview of the U.S. Open, be sure to check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes by searching for Just End the Suffering in the podcast store. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings. I'll make the podcast even better in the future. You can follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag ThatGuy if you made it to the end of the today's show. Stay tuned for a brand new episode next week where we'll preview the NFL season and make picks for week one. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Bills fans. Ah, Bills!